Welcome to Black Lizard Marks. My name is Nick Stumpauser. I'm still Spencer Field. And after a several week hiatus, we decided to come back. This actually might be a several month hiatus. Has it? I, I have, don't have my calendar in front of me, but I've, I'd be willing to bank on that. I think at least two months. Which still falls under the category of several weeks. That's true. In I mean, my defense. Months are made out of weeks. This is true. Exactly. So last time we concluded our episode, The Shit That Is Life Part 2. And today I think it would be appropriate if we uh, took the knife and twisted it. God is tot, er bleib tot, and verde tot in here. God is dead, he remains dead, and we have killed him. The, the most famous line by Friedrich Nietzsche, the, uh, what, 18th, 19th century, I believe? Because he was in the 18... 1800s, so mm-hmm. that would have been 19th century. Right. Which uh, why we do that? I'm, I yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, German philosopher uh, who declared, I won't say how he declared it, that God is dead. Probably and forcefully. Pro- well, maybe. Uh, it, I've, well, I've heard so many. this paragraph, maybe not actually. Yeah, I've heard. So th- we're going to read you the parable of the madman, which is where. Oh, wait, uh, the whole it, parable or the one line of it? No, no, no. We need to read the whole parable oh, of the madman. Okay. Well, yeah. Wait, I need a new Wikipedia page. Yeah, uh, because uh, there have been there's been a lot of discussion as to whether or not he was triumphant when he said it, whether he was proud, whether he was sad and apathetic, and we'll get into that a little bit afterward based on our individual uh, encounters with this quote and different scholars who have encountered this quote, uh, and then the the implications of it as a society and whether or not we agree with it. Is God dead, or uh, was that just some psychopaths because i've heard he was crazy very crazy but um. but i think that can be a solid compliment given what normal is these days i also had (laughs) i also had had a thought here just saying like if for some like copyright reason we can no longer call our podcast blacklister remarks the shit that is life would be a solid follow-up i mean didn't did we check laura or anything to see are you kidding me no this was just uh, like we should do a podcast what should we name it uh blacklisted okay somebody got a logo got it ship it yeah, that was pretty much it. That's how we do things. But given the uh, the 26 followers that we have... We have 26 followers? Yeah, I think the most we've gotten is 26 or 29 listens on SoundCloud. Wow, boy, the Russians must be taken, like, broke their algorithm or something. Because no, I don't know. definitely no way those were people. But I have gotten um, those uh, messages off Spotify, or, um, SoundCloud um, from, like, those, those very lewd and inappropriate like bots of like where it's like misspelled and every other letter is capitalized like propositioning me for online sex with a random person with like the the profile picture of just like pornography from soundcloud so that could be taking up at least five to ten percent of our listenerhood okay um so to all of those i'm sorry i am i am not interested but i appreciate your consideration of me for 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 intercourse but i'm gonna pass (laughs) Uh, I've been listening to a lot of Joe Rogan lately. I'm I'm assuming you've listened to at least one episode of Joe Rogan. No. No? No. Uh, 90 million downloads a month as a podcast. So I'm surprised, given that he has command of almost a third of the American population, I would say a quarter of the American population, that you have not uh, listened to him. But uh, he has some amazing guests on there. And uh, I've noticed that he does a lot more long and loose as opposed to, you know, he'll, he'll converse with somebody for three hours about something. Uh, and given that we don't have that kind of time, we have to be a little more concise. But uh, I'm well. We have all the time that Joel has. We just choose to spend it differently. Joe, Joe, Joe. Yes, yeah. he, he has no more time than we do. That's true. That's very true. 
So, uh, do you have the parable up? I do have the parable up. Would you like to please narrate for us the infamous parable of the madman? Um, if you can do a setup, as like Audible would do, so like this is Audible, <laughs> and introduce me as the the uh, voice. This is Audible. You don't get to stop there. You have to go all the way through. <laughs> and then when we end, you also need to follow up with, uh, like, if you enjoyed listening to this audio recording, we would recommend. <laughs> it's no longer copyright either. It's public domain because oh. it's, it's been... Uh, it's been what sixty three years, I think, is the public domain when it, when something goes into public domain. It depends on the type of. Uh, well, I feel like two hundred years is pretty a uh, pretty good buffer yeah, for us. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So this is Spencer Field narrating Friedrich Nietzsche's okay. okay, Parable of the Madman. Right. All right. You're listening to Audible. Today's recording is by Spencer. Uh, no, uh, you've been listening. See, this is why I never start the podcast because I can't I can't let it out. You're listening to Audible. Today's series is Frederick Nietzsche's The Parable of the Madman, 1882, read by Spencer Field. If you enjoy listening to this, please like, share, and comment on our site, and feel free to share this book with those around you. Now, Spencer Field, in The Parable of the Madman. I'm just waiting for a couple of listeners to drop off. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. I think we got rid of, rid, rid of, rid of most of them by now. We, we split our... The Madman. Have you not heard of the madman who lit a lantern in the bright morning hours, ran to the marketplace, and cries incessantly, I seek God, I seek God, as many of those who did not believe in God were standing around just then. He provoked much laughter. He has just lost. Ask one. Did he lose his way like a child, another asks, or is he hiding? Is he afraid of us? Has he gone on a voyage, immigrated? Thus they yelled and laughed. The madman jumped into the mist and pierced them with his ears. Whether is God, he cried, I will tell you, we have killed him, and you and I, all of us, are his murderers. But now did we do this? How could we drink up the seas? How gave, who gave us the sponge to wipe away the entire horizon? What were we doing when we unchained the earth from the sun? What, whether is it moving now? Whether is it moving away from all suns? Are we not pr plunging continuously backwards, sidewards, forwards in all directions? Is there still any up or down? Are we staying as though an infinite nothing? As we do not feel the breath of empty space, has it not become colder? Is not night continuously closing on us? Do we not need a light lantern in the morning? Do we hear nothing as yet of the noise of the grave diggers who are burying God? Do we smell nothing as yet of the d divine decomposition? Gods, too, decompose. God is dead. God remains dead. And we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderer of all murderers, what was the holiest and mighty of all that the world has yet owned is bled to death under our knives. How will we wipe this blood off of us? The water is there for what water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festival of atonement, what sacrificial games shall we have to invent? Is not that greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we, over, must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There was, has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us, 
for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all histories heretofore. Here the madman fell silent and looked again at his listeners, and they said, and they too were silent and stared at him in astonishment. At last they threw his lantern to the ground, and in its broken pieces they went out. I have come too early, he said to them, my time is not yet. This tremendous event is still on its way, still wandering. It has not yet reached the ears of men. Lightning and thunder require time. The light of the stars require time. Deeds, though done, still require time to be seen and heard. This deed is still more distant than the most distant stars. It has been related further that one um, that on the same day the madman forced his way into several churches and then struck up his recreo, uh, Latin uh, uh, led unto the call to account. He is said always to have replied nothing but, what after all are these churches now? If they are not tombs of the uh, dead God, but dead is in Latin. Because I don't know. I'm not Latin. I'm not a good homeschooler. The is that, end. Is that the first time you've read that? Yes. Interesting. What, uh, hold initial hold, 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 reaction. Hold on. You've been listening to Audible. This has been The Parable of the Man Men, 1882, by Frederick Nietzsche, read for you by Spencer Field. If you enjoyed this title, we'd also recommend several other automatically generated titles for you to listen to. <laughs> to learn more, visit audible.com. And thank you for listening. And the suicide hotline is 1 800. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> because let's be honest that may be the best joke I have heard in blacklisted remarks <laughs> and only because it is also so true alright uh, you were saying well that's, that's that's the first time you've read it uh, congratulations thank um, you initial first blush response um, so I've been reading um, a lot of relatively older text recently okay and um and a lot of the texts I found, like the Brothers Karamazov, is this like is that by Dostoevsky. Yeah, it's a very long. It's like a twenty-six hour listen. <laughs> it's a very long book. It's written in this format of like fiction with these like really intense conversations, and then back to this really bad fiction, and then onto these really intense <laughs> conversations. You're like, just stop this really bad fiction. It's just not worth it, <laughs> and it's way too long anyway. It's yeah, like, it must have been paid by the word or something to make this happen. Right, and. I, I was struck again, uh, I was struck for the first time how this could be written in a story format, but yeah. also contain some very powerful imagery. Yeah. Um, there were several points in, in this where I said, oh, we're going to have to talk about that. We're going to have to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, that kind of struck me. Uh, but I think, like, overall, I think it was a well-written piece of, of work. Yeah, it's, I, I personally think it's it's devastating. And I think once you read that, that the only way you can uh, talk about how Nietzsche said it is by no means triumphant. Uh, he was not happy about this. You know, the I think it's easy to say that um, the madman is Nietzsche, uh, and that by the end of it, you realize he says, "My time is is not now." Mm -hmm. I'm not sure his exact phraseology, but he, he's basically saying like this: me the the world is not ready for this message. I have come too early. I have come too early, and uh, that to me is. Um, you know, I don't know if 200 years is even enough time 
for that message. Well, that was like a thought which occurred to me that I don't know that there is ever a time for this message. Right. I don't know that right. it's, I've come too early. It just, I think it would be better said, I have come and that's the problem. Right. Is that this yeah. message like, can't be said and understood by the masses and yeah. thus is never an appropriate message. And that's what he talks about there is that the earth is unchained. He has a lot of really cool imagery in there about how uh, basically the foundation of society is broken because he's he's you know made this this message. Um, I, I I read this the first time uh, probably a year or two ago, um, and I I wanted to do a, a tour um, a debate tour. Um, similar to how uh, Hitch or any of the other um, rhetoricians would go around the country and you know debate, uh, um, th not theologians. What are they called? Uh, Theocrats, people who believe in God. Theists. Yeah, that's theists. the word. But you'd probably be debating theologians. People theologians. Study. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think you have the right word. And I wanted it to be called the Madman Tour. And it, uh, it was based a lot on heavily on this and talking about that, okay, God's dead, now what? Mm -hmm. uh, but I think we should probably start at, I mean, technically it's, it's in the first third, but the, the, the phrase, God is dead, he remains dead, and we have killed him. A lot of people get confused in that. I've heard a lot of uh, theists jump on that and be like, okay, so God was alive meaning that there is a God. How can you kill something that doesn't exist? <laughs> okay. and, and I think that's the first misconception about this phrase is mm -hmm. it's um, Nietzsche was never saying, nor did he really care to talk about whether or not there was a God. Uh, he was more talking about that the concept of a deity has died. Mm -hmm. uh, we are no longer in need of him as a society for explanatory power, for uh, moral uh, explanatory power, scientific, any of these things. That I would disagree with you. That's, you, you can, I think you'd be disagreeing with Nietzsche. I'm just trying I, yeah. to explain that what he was saying is that it's not that there was a God and we drove a knife in his heart. Mm -hmm. It's, it's no the, need the, idea of. the, the intellectual hypothesis of deity yeah. has been proven false by society mm -hmm. and we're moving on. But I think the cultural underpinnings is what he was mourning in this. You know, what are the churches? But tombs of what did he say? But tombs of. Mm, I have to look here. And I've heard I've heard that a lot um, from from I think Jordan Peterson was the most recent person to talk about it. Uh, which to our listeners, if you've never heard anything by Jordan Peterson, look him up now. Uh, listen to the the nine hours of information that he has on Joe Rogan's podcast. It's it's amazing. But uh, it was a discussion of how the death of God in society is leading to many, many things. And he, he connected it to the rise of Stalinism, Leninism, um, and uh, communism. And I thought that was really interesting, how the death of God led to that. I don't know if I agree with it, but he, he made some interesting connections between um, what a Judeo-Christian society looks like mm -hmm. and what an atheistic society looks like. And I don't know if that's too far off base from this parable. I think that's like the implications over the course of, you know, many decades or many centuries. Um, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think? I think it would be a natural next step. I also don't know that... Um, 
that that's as required as it needs to be. I was just listening to, uh, hold on a second, this book, uh, let's see here, Man's Search for Meaning by Frankel, Victor Frankel, who, mm-hmm. of course, was a survivor of uh, four concentration camps. Yeah. And before going into the concentration camps, uh, he was a therapist, and coming out, he developed his own form of therapy called logotherapy. And his entire premise is based on that humans need a meaning to live, and that when in these concentration camps, if a man was able to find a meaning for his suffering, even if it was a made-up meaning that had no basis right. in reality, he was able to survive so much more than a man without any meaning. Um, and he almost made some of these like assertions that having meaning actually had these like measurable, significant health effects on individuals. So you'd say like two men lying in a bed, both suffering um, from a disease. One had meaning and one didn't want the one man with meaning would be much more likely to live. And I think that's what we see in our society now is that... That's measurable. Yeah. I mean, I, I think... I think there have been studies on, on people who are religious, uh, you know, living longer, having uh, less uh, stress mm-hmm. in their lives, um, lower cortisol levels. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember many reading many studies about that, about how religious people are, from purely a physio- physiological and psychological perspective, right. a lot better off than somebody who, say... Um, has either left a religion or was raised without a religion. Which I think just builds into, like, why is this idea so prevalent in our society, yeah. the idea of God? is because it's built in, at right. least in part, to our genetics, that I'm more likely to live if I yeah. have this belief structure. Well, I, maybe not necessarily... Right, we're not going to go down that road. Belief, belief structure. Well, well, let me say this, and then if it's too far down the wrong okay. road. Because this is actually something I was going to say just a few seconds ago is um, from an evolutionary perspective, I find it interesting that uh, we have created, not created, in order to survive, we require meaning. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as humans, we have evolved to the point we have become self-aware enough to dissolve the illusion that there is meaning in all of these different places that we originally had Proposed, whether it was you know, why the sun rises, why the river floods, why the crops grow or fail, or, or whatever it is. Um, and the negative effects that it has on the psyche and on the body as a result of the negative effects of the psyche when you dissolve those illusions. Um, and I think that's why people like Nietzsche and uh, Kant um, got letters from people in the mail saying, uh, I don't know if you knew this about Kant, but he, he received letters from multiple, multiple people in the mail. This is why he stopped publishing, because people were sending him notes saying, um, because of your work, I'm going to kill myself now. Because of what you've talked about, um, I, I, what was it that Kant talked about? Uh, uh, the moral imperatives mm-hmm. and, and thing, things of the like, basically dissolving the ideas of, of God and where morality comes from. I think he was either contemporary with or after Nietzsche, and, and they, uh, he played off of him a little bit. And um, it's just very evident that if you, uh, there's a phrase, I don't know if you know the phrase red-pilled. Obviously, you've seen The Matrix, and you're a fan of that. Um, uh, I don't know that I've seen it. I don't know that I'm a fan of it, but uh, I can imagine what the sure. phrase means. Yeah, to, to, be, to be red-pilled currently in society means to be either a conservative who has been turned liberal by certain arguments or vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
to be red pilled from a philosophical standpoint, I guess it, it can be like you have to you have to dose up to the red pill. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I wish I would have dosed up. That was not. No. Yeah. It's um, because it's it's a you know it's a rabbit hole that you fall and you fall faster every second. It's it's kind of scary. So I think that's that's why I relate to this parable so much because um, you know the the people around this madman took his lantern and he smashed it. You know the lantern's obviously a metaphor for um, news, maybe not good news, but enlightenment to to bring light. And he says he jumped into the mist. You know the fog of this illusion, the fog of this ignorance, with a lantern, and you know, shone a light to all these people. And you saw how the people reacted. They took his lantern, they smashed it on the ground, and they left. They didn't. They weren't having any of it. And there's so much of that that's internal already uh, that you have to either a be mad to take this message into the world, or b uh, disregard it, smash the lantern on the ground, and leave. Um, and and I just think it's curious. Uh, that from an evolutionary standpoint we have built the necessity for ascribing meaning uh, to everything that we do and uh, I think it was both Dawkins and Hitchens that really took this head on Um, and if you want to give your thoughts on that while I look for this quote sure yeah look it up yeah I would say that I guess maybe we should almost retitle the podcast at this point, like, is a search for meaning necessary? And I think that for a lot of people, having meaning to their life or meaning to their suffering is a really important part of their everyday life. Uh, and I see that with, with lots of people. I mean, there's so many uh, psychologists who would recommend that, especially with everything written by Frankel's logotherapy, which is fallen out of style saying, like, almost all suffering, almost all psychological problems fall from a lack of meaning in life. Well, didn't Nietzsche say right after this, a man with a good enough why can endure anyhow? Yeah, he did. Was that Nietzsche I, or was that Kant? No, that was Nietzsche. And I don't know that it was right after this, but it it's, definitely yeah, out of those It's words. interesting that those two thoughts that, which is why if you take away the best why, mm-hmm. you're fucked. Well, and so okay, that's, <laughs> That's the thought where every time I hear this, I like my internal perspective system says like, hold on a minute. Like if I'm going to be fucked to like, let's like seriously think this through to make sure that this is a legitimate direction to go into. (laughs) And so I think that for so many people that is really true. Living without meaning is not an option. And even if we're creating artificial meaning around something, an artificial why that sustains. But I think that there are some people, not most, but some people who can understand that meaning that there is no true meaning and they well they may create artificial meanings for themselves they're not dependent upon those artificial uh, meanings kind of like a, as a uh, here we go for analogies that I haven't thought through uh, <laughs> maybe as a blind man can walk down a street he can certainly rely on those around him to help guide him or he can also know that I cannot see but I can still walk and I choose to move forward and I think that at the the back to our matrix references, I think at the I think it's the final matrix. There's this scene between Mr. Smith and Neo, which I think I watched and then I reround and watched again, and then reround and watched again. And the, the conversation I won't relate in its totality, but there was one moment uh, where Neo like stands back up with triumphal music playing behind 
him and he says, I continue because I choose to. Yeah. And it's not that he's subscribing meaning. He's not like, yeah. so that my people will live, so that the machines will fall, right, right. so that truth will prevail. He just says, because I choose to, right, right. and there's no at least expressed meaning. So w- with all of this, these thoughts moving around, both whether or not the world is ready to receive it, whether or not the marketplace wants to hear it, or whether or not we can continue, I would say that for so many people, there is a need for meaning, but not all. And I think to do so is like to participate in like uh, homogeneity outgroup activity. Or right. Something like no, that. I, I agree. And I think that's where that's one of the reasons why so many people maintain their uh, re- religious beliefs is because they've never been given an opportunity to to live without the what they've been told is is the meaning of life so mm-hmm. they're just like well i guess i'll stay here because you know this is this is what it's all about you know mm-hmm. at bottom but yeah uh, neo's comment was preceded by mr smith saying you know why do you persist mm-hmm. why do you keep standing up why do you keep fighting and i think that's so interesting that uh um the, dawkins said this is what uh, dawkins says is why he bothers getting up in the mornings uh, after, after sleeping through a hundred million centuries, we have finally opened our eyes on a sumptuous planet sparkling with color, bountiful with life. Within decades, we must close our eyes again. Isn't it a noble and enlightened way of spending our brief time in the sun to work at understanding the universe and how we have come to wake up in it? This is how I answer when I'm asked, as I am surprisingly often, why I bother to get up in the mornings. And I think it's interesting, too, that the stigma of atheism or of just non-theism in general is why bother getting up in the mornings Mm -hmm. why don't you kill rape and steal Mm -hmm. shoot up heroin and then die like what is your purpose in life and and i think this this is something i wanted to jump back to earlier is why does the existence of a deity provide any meaning i always thought that was peculiar uh that the mere existence of a god like people uh, to me it's always been explained like god exists therefore your life has meaning and mm-hmm. it was never really presented to me in any more detail than that and 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 i remember you know questioning as you may imagine that i did in theology class um you know okay god exists but like so what, what does that do for oh well i can i'll jump on this band yeah, all please, day long. Yeah. yeah so as somebody who definitely derived a deep sense of meaning and calling for many years based on my belief in god I would say that while it's difficult to express since more falls on the emotional level than it does on the logical level, that when you're looking for meaning, you're looking for an external rule set is what you need to provide meaning. You have to have some framework to Mm. put into perspective what you have. And just the existence of God doesn't provide meaning. So you're saying like there is a God, thus there is meaning would be a false statement to make. However, by saying there is a God and he's created a rule set, which then has a why behind it, right. can be deeply meaningful. Well, and there's also so much, so much literature and rhetoric and mindset uh, about God's plan mm-hmm. for you. I think, I think the meaning of life um, often devolves into everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it's order versus absurdity. And I think a universe without a God is, is absurd. It's random, it's uh, blind, um, dispassionate, ch- dispassionate chance. Um, but with a God, it's calculated, it's planned out. And you, I guess maybe that's why you feel safe with a God, because it's 
oh, this happened for a reason because God's looking out for me, or this happened for a reason because God's saying, get your act together. Um, and because you can ascribe meaning, I guess you feel safer knowing that, that, that there is an, an intelligent being uh, sort of twiddling the knobs of the universe itself. And then when you take that away, um, I think it was Adam Savage from Mythbusters was saying that, I mean, he's, maybe he's a little bit mad too. Maybe you have to be mad to be an atheist. But yeah. um, he said that the fact that nobody's pulling the strings, that nobody's behind the curtain, that nobody is at the control panel, he says that's what, to me, makes it so cool mm-hmm. in this universe. That anything has happened at all, that all of these things are the way that they are, and that nobody did anything to to, to create that. That's what makes it cool. And so I think it's a perspective on this phrase, God is dead, but let's let's take it to the next part. Um, he remains dead. Okay, that's pretty self-explanatory. And we have killed him. So, I think actually out of all the phrases that I've just been, I've read, I think I spent more energy reading than processing and understanding, sure. that that one to me is the, oh, I, okay, right for backlash, is almost the least interesting phrase in here. Really? Really, because I would say that the setup explaining how the society is dependent upon that meeting, what that means for us, and then the outcome from that is really the most interesting part to me. The fact that we are the ones who dismantled that belief and not some external party dismantled the belief is almost, uh, to me, doesn't matter as much. Like, if yeah. I walked in to see someone I love dead, my first thought is not, who killed this person? My right. first thought is extreme mourning and like, how does life continue right. on now That's that fair. this has happened? I think it was probably more of a bombshell when he said it. Very possibly. If you can think of the puritanical society that he lived in, uh, to say God is dead and then to immediately stick the bloody knife in the hand of your neighbor and say, and you killed him. Yeah. That's like not, that's not even saying like, you're wrong about the existence of God. But you were the murderer of this guy. Well, yeah, it's clear that he's obviously using the collective we. Yes, and, yes, yes, yes. And so when the people who would react most negatively to this were the not the individuals who killed them. It was the individual giving CPR. That's a really great point. Is that I think society is giving CPR to a a, a rotting corpse <laughs> of a god. <laughs> Uh, they are they are pushing on the cracking and mushy ribs of of a deity right now. That well, is, and so this is a thought which I've also often have difficulty to express. It makes total sense inside of my mind, but as soon as it comes over my lips, it makes no sense. Okay, and I'll do it again now just because it's fun to do. Right, um, and it will induce a headache. Is <laughs> when we look at the idea of there being or not being a god. Uh, we have to put this in the category of qualitative truth or quantitative truth. And in some aspects, there is a quantitative aspect to this, like there is a God, yes, or there's not a God, no, right. and it's a yes, no decision. Yeah. In the same way that a hat does have some, some place in that thought process, it also has place in the qualitative thought process being that when I say, do you like, which is better, chocolate or vanilla, and you say chocolate, well, that isn't universally true. And if God is a, a thought structure, or if God is a perspective, or if God is a way of a worldview or a meta story or whatever you want to right. call it that you buy into as an individual, then God can both not exist and totally exist in the same time yeah. 
in the same place, but just not in the same way. Yeah. And so when we say that man is, you know, performing CPR, this rotten, broken corpse, that for some people they are performing CPR in this rotten, broken corpse. But for some people, this corpse is not rotten nor broken. It is well living yeah. and thriving. And yeah. when we say God is dead, I think that this story only applies to half of that thought process. It only applies to the quantitative sense where we said that from a yes-no perspective, from an external perspective, is there a God? And does not apply to that secondary perspective at all. Like that secondary side, that qualitative side shook when this happened, but it didn't yeah. break. And I would maybe even take that one step further to say that the idea of God originated in that qualitative standpoint. Pre-modern Western society, yes. the idea of truth and not truth was yes. a whole lot vaguer than we had it. Yes, science now. came way after God came. Right, and so God started in this quantitative yes. place, or qualitative place, yes. then moved to the quantitative place, and now, at least for me, is back to the side of qualitative. Yeah, and well, I think that happens to a lot of people is they, they try and take this this pre-scientific hypothesis of mm -hmm. how the world works, shove it into the framework of the scientific method, mm -hmm. see that it fails, and then allow it to then exist again yeah, it's like a outside. Backfeed, yeah, which breaks exactly. Through. Yeah, because I th and that's I think one of the big reasons why, and you see this in the parable, you have to be careful who you red pill, mm -hmm. because they might smash your lantern on the ground and walk away. Or yeah, or worse. Or or much or much yeah. worse. Yeah. And so I, I slightly disagree with what you say about how this parable is more about the quanti uh, quali yeah, quantitative. Um, I do think he was making a very much there is no God statement. But more than that, in fact, I think that's almost the smallest part of what he's saying there is the cultural aspect of it, which he was saying is that we killed God. We have no more use for him as a society. Um, because he's post enlightenment, you know, he's he's in the time where it was pure, purely rational thinking is is what man was the highest esteem, the highest esteem is yeah. what man uses to 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 make his way through the mist, mm -hmm. you might say, and so um, I think he cared a lot more about what that did to uh, the society as a whole, um, specifically when he starts talking about like he he had no. Uh, confusion about what this truth would do mm -hmm. you know just his comments about like the earth being unchained from the sun and moving all around uh is just shows how catastrophic he knew this idea was that there is no more god no longer a god so i think um as I think it's more a qualitative statement than it is a quantitative statement. Um, I think he may have meant it to be that, and I would agree with your perspective if that was his meaning. And I'm not disagreeing with your your perspective on this. I'm saying I believe his perspective was incorrect. Which is yeah, which is fair, um, for sure. I, th I thought you were going to say something right after that. No. No. I mean, I certainly have other things to say. But oh, then, then I, proceed, yeah. Well, like, I, I could sit here, um, I feel like we could start, like, with the worst first word and almost go word by word oh, through this gosh, and have yeah. an entire an entire conversation um, on all of this and move right along uh, and, like, and have so much extra space. I guess one of the things which pops really right out uh, to me, I'm trying to refine one of these, is at the end 
um, when it says that, uh, so it's been related further that on the same day that man, men forced his way into several churches and then struck up uh, his call. I think that when I look at that, um, I see that in our society, especially with like the, this formation of the new atheists mm-hmm. who are like slightly less militaristic than, than their predecessors, but also still are like very much find me a white horse and I shall smash through the cathedral window, like come in through the stained glass and burn this place down as it is a den of lying thieves. And I see that like I can understand from a perspective like truth is important and should be declared. But I also think that what's missing from the current cultural conversation, or what I've heard referred to as public theology, is the idea that is this almost bifurcation of uh, react like quantitative and qualitative truths. And in the same way that we understand for three-year-olds the belief in Santa Claus is an important story, and we yeah. don't charge in. And at some point in time, like if I was to meet like a 40-year-old man who still believed in Santa Claus, and it brought him so much joy and happiness, and it brought meaning to the season of Christmas. You would just be a dick to just ruin that for him. Yeah, and not only would I be a dick to ruin it for him, I also don't think that I would, like, I would certainly eye roll and go, like, oh, my gosh, like, look at how ignorant this guy is. Yeah. But at the same time, to in my perspective of what it means to be a good human, which differs for each individual, it's not... It's not being a good human to ruin this, to break this in, in the, under the guise of truth. Yeah, like what what is what harm is he doing? And I think that's sort of where, the the new atheist, which I as as a new atheist, I purse my lips at your um, defamation of our of my people, <laughs> but. Uh, because they think Stan Yarsen put the put the knife down, Nick. Put the put the knife down. I said put <laughs> knife, Nick. Put the Nick. <laughs> I think it was Hitch who said uh, there's nothing new, or maybe it was Dawkins. There's nothing new about the new atheists. It's just that they're they're, they're younger. Because um, obviously all the the four horsemen are old as hell um, or dead, and uh, <laughs> laying right down there with God. Then hey, yeah, yeah. I guess so. Hitch and Hitch and God rolling around <laughs> in their graves. <laughs> um, Both. Uh, because of this podcast. Because of this podcast. Both of them are. Honestly, uh, God and Hitchens are both like, what are these? <laughs> what are these morons talking about? But um, oh, bollocks! I was going to say something. Oh yes, uh, this is sort of where it's a it's a very fine line or a tightrope that you have to walk on who you red pill and why. Mm-hmm. Um, so the poor 40-year-old man who still relishes in the illusion of Santa Claus, uh, is he teaching at a school? Is he telling little kids about Santa? Is he raising these little kids to believe in Santa? Are there public policies being made because of this man's belief in Santa Claus? Uh, and, so you and I will have a strong disagreement on this, and I'm all right with that. And I would say even if there are public policies being made on this, even if he's teaching right. children that there is a Santa Claus... Depending on the outcomes of those, I'm also okay with right, that. Right, but you have to hold that intention with the well-being of all conscious yes, creatures. Yes, certainly. So I think, um, for example, uh, in society, when we talked about determinism, like, yeah. should we just like be like, ah, but the serial killer really wasn't culpable because of determinism? Let's let him free. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, like living under the illusion of libertarian free will and a Judeo-Christian fundamentalist society, like 
works a lot better than Newtonian determinism when it comes to the judicialism. <laughs> yep. So I agree with you on that. Um, but I think like when it comes to maybe um, religions around the world, uh, infant baptism, female genital mutilation, all these different things that stem from the idea of a god, it's like mm-hmm. we have to pick who we red pill. Mm-hmm. And I think it's sort of our responsibility as the people who have been red pilled, which sounds completely and totally arrogant, like we have the truth and you don't. Right. Um, but in our perspective, what we what we believe is correct, you know, we have the responsibility um, to pick very carefully who we red pill. You know, are you going to red pill the the old lady in church who is going to die of cancer in a month and who relishes in her time with in front of the tabernacle praying the rosary? Mm-hmm. Of course not. You're not going to go up to her and be like, ma'am, excuse me, ma'am, 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 ma'am. Excuse me. When, when no, you, turn the hearing aid on. Yeah, hearing aid. When, yeah, you, when you die, nothing happens. All right, thanks. Have a great day. You would never do that. No. So, uh, yes, God is dead. But I, I still want to go back to the end we have killed him. Okay. Uh, because I think that's really important. Um, do you think it was the Enlightenment? That like, killed? That killed God? Well, and I think, so for me, the, really the operative word there is killed and understanding that into so i have during my my training to become a bad yoga teacher that i am uh, (laughs) (laughs) like i don't believe in chakras which just ruins everything um (laughs) but there's a there's a phrase which is in sanskrit which i cannot pronounce to save my life which essentially says like a two-sided truth so saying like this is both cold and hot at the same time oh 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 um it's I got it. It's okay. um, please hold tetralama. Sure. Yes, it's, it's the tetralama. I'll sign on to that. So the tetralama, and understanding that that like I I first kind of grew to understand that principle yes. many years ago as I was in middle school and seeing these truths which were both held at the same time like actually this this doesn't this can't work yeah and rejecting that idea but coming to understand it more and more and understanding that the idea so there's what did Nietzsche actually mean and what is actually true from my perspective right are two different things in this category but I would say that to talk about that operative phrase I think kills the operative word and understand that kills almost this tetralama like I would say that the idea of God grew past the boundaries of what it should have been in and we pruned the tree back to what it should have been. And when we say killed, mm. we say we killed off these branches which overgrew, but we did not kill the whole tree. Mm. Because you can see in our society, the tree is still well alive and thriving and has all sorts of branches in places that they shouldn't be. Does he just mean, what, what, if, what if he just meant that he brought the message that there is no God into the world? And that they're well, no, because there there have been atheists way before yeah, Nietzsche. Yeah, okay. bringing this into the world. That was Epicurean way before him. Yeah, been around. I think that there, what he meant by killed and what he meant by we is that individuals in the modern culture have come up with truth beliefs and explanations, explanatory power, which negated the need for the belief right. in God. So we were able to find a different cause, a different. A different reason for this to yeah. work, a different why, and that then substituted what was already yeah. there. Interesting. Huh. So when he said killed, I think he meant like deeply uprooted, cut apart, then burned the tree. Yeah. And I would say that what should be understood yeah. from my perspective of reality is the tree has been pruned back to the box that it might need to stay in. 
All right, so here's here's a question I think we should end on, and this might require a part two. I think there's so much in this parable that we can continue to talk about. Every word. Um, that, that we should definitely do a part two. But I want to leave on this question. Maybe we can answer it and then, uh, and then sign off. And that is, um, should we burn the rest of the tree? Do you think that um, you and I should find a white horse and charge into various churches declaring that God is dead and drop our manifestos, uh, nail them to the doors of the churches, whatever. Uh, Should we burn the rest of that tree and completely, globally dissolve the idea of a deity? Yes or no? I would say absolutely not. Okay, and why? I would say that... uh, My perspective of what it means to be both a good human and live in a good society is different from everybody else's. But using mine, I think the idea of meaning and the idea of joy and living a life of fulfillment is a very important aspect of that. And if that fulfillment is based on almost a fairy tale, then I'm all right with that happening. And that the cost of bringing this truth is not worth the cost. And I would also say that bringing quantitative truth into the qualitative world is not bringing truth in but rather is distorting just as qualitative truth coming into the quantitative world is a distortion moving quantitative truth into the qualitative world is also a distortion and Mm. that doesn't lead to a society that i would like to participate in it doesn't lead to a quality of life that it isn't participated and that's not what i would want to see from my fellow human because i think that it's a two-directional distortion and i don't want to distort i've been distorted one way yeah. and I don't want to be the person counter distorting. That's very interesting. I don't I'm conflicted because I see and have experienced um, what I've experienced from religion that whatever damage is caused for me psychologically is nothing compared to the true damage of um, you know what you see in the Middle East where sects of ideologies are murdering each other and dumping gasoline on children and igniting them mm-hmm. and cutting off the clitoris of, of little girls and whatnot. That's nothing compared to the, oh, now I look down on gay people and I have to rectify that. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's obviously nothing. But I look across the globe at the common denominator of all of the evil, and I think that a substantial percentage can be reduced to the word God. Mm. And I think if you can replace the word, as Sam Harris said, uh, uh, there's never... Not a blacklist of remarks <laughs> without a Sam Harris quote. You know it. I talked about all the other horsemen. I got to <laughs> Harris in there. We apologize for being the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he said, a society has never suffered from being too rational. Mm, I would disagree. Why? And you've been listening to Black <laughs> Join you next time for Spencer to say once again something he'll regret saying in about two weeks. I'm Spencer Field. I'm Nick Stumphauser. Thanks for listening. Signing off.